my good people greetings how are you what is happening what is going on how's everybody doing out there hope everybody's feeling fantastic and i'm sure ecstatic knowing that it's a short work week and that the thanksgiving holiday is right upon us but before we give praise and thank the good lord for all the blessings that he bestows upon us we're going to get into a little sports talk and here to deliver to you on that big giant thanksgiving day platter is none other than yours truly jay reels here the host of the jay reels podcast For my first-timers, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. And for those who have been down with me from episode 1, 15, 65, 73, 86, 92, and now 100. That's right, the 100th episode of the J-Reels Podcast. I welcome you guys back and I hope you come back for many, many more in the weeks and months to come. This is a Monday, November the 25th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Here's what I have on deck for you guys. College football, the season concludes this weekend, highlighted by the big game that's going to be played in Michigan, the big house between Ohio State and Michigan. So I'll get into that as we kind of start to put the regular season to bed as far as college football is concerned. I'll also get into everything that's happening in the NBA, including Luka Doncic as he continues his meteoric rise to the top of the NBA charts as far as the players concerned. Also what's going on in the NHL, as well as Major League Baseball had a couple of signings as well as a couple of DFAs and one Jacoby Ellsbury, which I'm sure the Yankee fan can rejoice and is very happy about. But also, the 2020 MLB Hall of Fame nominees or first ballot for the first time here with Derek Jeter highlighting that. As we all know, he's going to be a lock, but there's plenty of others on that list which we'll go through and get to later on. But we'll start this podcast with the NFL as we've now moved into the Thanksgiving weekend. And the one thing for sure is now we could look forward to these final five weeks. All the buys are gone. No more London games. The Thursday night games will start to dwindle down. But right now, the landscape of the NFL looks pretty much like this. The AFC, you have your top two teams and then everybody else. It's pretty much a log jam at the bottom of the AFC bracket when it comes to the four, five, and six seedings. And we'll just say five and six is whomever's going to make it as three and four, of course, are going to win the division. But when you look at five down, there is just a jumbled mess between Buffalo, Pittsburgh, the Raiders, the Titans, you know, teams like that, the Colts. So now who's going to get those precious two spots between those five or six teams obviously remains to be seen and we'll certainly watch it all unfold. Whereas in the NFC, if the Packers somehow, some way would have been competitive in that game last night at Levi Stadium and would have came away with a victory. You would have had four teams at the top of the NFC at 9-2. and two. Could you imagine that? You would have had Niners, Saints, Packers, and Seahawks all fighting for a number one seed. But obviously that did not happen. The Packers didn't even get off the bus and show up at that game last night as they lose to the tune of 37-8. to eight. George Kittle comes back from a broken ankle to produce 129 yards and a touchdown. Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't special. But did the job and their defense, the Niners that is, which is stout and one of the top ranked defenses in the league, certainly put it on the Packer offense and Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. So they have to go back to Green Bay licking their chops to regroup and get themselves back on the right track because now they're going to be in a division fight with the Vikings despite the fact that they do lead considering that they have the tiebreaker in beating the Vikings earlier on this year. So you don't have that as far as the four, nine, and two teams, but you do have a competitive top of the NFC chain. And of course, at the bottom, unlike the AFC, although the Rams in desperate need of a win tonight to just keep themselves a game behind in that race, because they're going to be the only team fighting for one of those two wildcard spots, because you can forget about Carolina, you can forget about even the Eagles, although the Eagles still have a shot to win a division, which we'll break that down and get into, because it seems as if nobody wants to win the NFC least. But the... So I'll start here as far as these games are concerned because obviously the Packer game I did mention and there was pretty much a snooze fest from the start. But when you look at what took place in New England yesterday and I'm sure if you're a Cowboy fan you're on your hands and knees praying with your fingers crossed that the shots that Jerry Jones, the owner of the team of course took, I'm not going to say he went after his coach but for all intents and purposes it looks like this could be it for a one Jason Garrett. Jerry Jones knows that he had to fork over the money to pay Ezekiel Elliott. He's going to have to do the same to Amari Cooper, who did not have a catch in that game against the New England Patriots. 
He's going to have to do the same for a one Dak Prescott. And looking at the NFC East as it is today, for him to come out to say, for all intents and purposes, we were outcoached. We certainly cannot beat a quality team. And when you look at across the way with Bill Belichick, they always win these types of games. It seems like we can't win those games. Then Jason Garrett right now is halfway down that plank. And there's still plenty of season to go. And good enough for the Cowboys because they have a game just in three days as the Buffalo Bills will come to town. Not going to be an easy game. But they still control their own destiny. And even as bad as the Eagles have played, they are still in the mix at under 505 and six. I mean, who would have thought? But the Cowboys right now, if you're a fan, I'm sure you're looking at it from a standpoint of let's just get through the season and I'm sure they're probably going to look at Jason Garrett's going to screw up one of these two games down the stretch and their schedule isn't really that easy. Now they have Buffalo coming in this Thursday as we all know. After that they go to Chicago where they beat the Giants yesterday but they're certainly not going to make any push for the playoffs. But as we all know, December, cold weather, a night game at that, that's going to be a tricky game for the Cowboys and just look at what happened yesterday in the rain and the muck in New England not being able to persevere and gut out a victory there on the road. They're going to have to do that in Chicago. Of course, they play Philly the next to the last weekend of the season, which that's going to be more likely the division. And then they host Washington there at the end in Week 17, but then they also have the Rams who are going to be fighting for their playoff lives coming into their building in between. So their schedule's certainly not easy, and I'm sure the Cowboy fan, although they could wake up this morning and say, hey, we're still in first place, we control our own destiny, but they're just waiting for that other shoe to drop. And it seems to have been dropping for the last seven or eight years with Jason Garrett as the head coach. And I know it's frustrating. I'm sure you got to pull your hair out of your heads. I know JD, my man, who's, as we all know, a huge Cowboy fan. I know he's got to be sick. But the good thing is you could turn this around with a good performance here on Thursday against a Bill team that did win against Denver at home. But we all know defensively, as good as they've been, as good as they are, offensively they could certainly be hit or miss hot and cold it seems like they've been more cold than hot of late but the Bills at 7-3 and three, I guess to a certain extent you have to respect them you gotta look at what they've done so far to keep themselves afloat here in the AFC and not fall apart and again with still plenty of games to go there's still five games left so a lot to a lot of football is going to be played it's easy to come out and say on this day that oh they're going to be fine they're going to write it out or so this team is has a very easy schedule, whatever it may be, doesn't automatically mean anything. doesn't mean that you're going to punch a ticket to the postseason just like that. Because I'm sure the people in Cleveland are probably feeling that way after yesterday and knowing that they go to Pittsburgh and that they have the easiest schedule amongst everybody in the NFL that we could automatically say that the Browns are going to make it to the postseason. Ah, let's uh, pull the reins on that. So the... Cowboys right now, despite the fact that they're struggling and even with the comments that Jerry Jones had stated, they have to look at it as the glass half full. And I know it's easy for me to say because I'm not a Cowboy fan, but go out there and beat Buffalo this coming weekend or this coming Thursday, excuse me, and that's it. One game at a time. If you're going to start looking at big picture this stage of the game, then you might as well just fire Jason Garrett today, which we all know is not going to happen, but... You get my point. You just got to take this thing one game at a time because you just never know how this is all going to shape out. But interestingly enough, with the NFC East and then the Eagles losing to the Seahawks yesterday when the Seahawks came into their building and we understand that the Eagles are banged up. No Deshaun Jackson. No Alshon Jeffrey. No Nelson Aguilar. And right now they're pretty much crawling to the tune of a 5-6 and six record. Not being able to get out of their own way. Carson Wentz, who can't put it all on him, but certainly has not. It's, it's interesting. When he had that MVP start to his 2017 season to the point, I think they were 10-1 and one at the time, and then he injured his knee on that fourth down play in LA. Ever since he's been back, we all know he has not been the same. He's actually been pretty good this year, but definitely not the guy that they thought was going to take them to those heights like they did in 2017 before Nick Foles came in and saved the day. But if you're the Eagles right now, one game at a time, but you still have to look at this as we could still win this division. Obviously, they're going to have to pretty much run the table to win out, and they do have a very favorable schedule. They still have to play the Giants twice, and we know the Giants have been in the free fall. They go to Miami this coming weekend, so you would think that's going to be a victory for them. They play the Redskins again, 
And then, of course, they have the Cowboys, as I said earlier, in that next to last week of the season. So it's all mapped out in front of them for the Eagles to go ahead and take the division. But they need to get some bodies back. They need to get their offense clicking. They had to sign Jay Ajayi back to the team because they don't even have any much of a semblance of a running game. We know Miles Sanders has... The rookie has played well at times, but you can't expect him to carry the mail. So the NFC least right now is one division where who wants it? It's almost as if that you know Dallas is just throwing it back to the Eagles to say, hey, I don't think we want it. You guys could take it. But then Philly's looking at it. It's like, well, I don't think we want it just yet. So it's going to be interesting to see how those two teams perform down the stretch. So that's what we got with the NFC least. As far as the Central, as I mentioned before, with the Vikings and the Packers, that's going to be an interesting fight to the finish. And they also play on uh, Week 16, which is going to be a fascinating week right now when you look at both of those two teams, Dallas and Philly, as well as Green Bay and Minnesota. And I believe the Green Bay Minnesota is a Sunday night game. So that's going to be prime time for the world to see. And the game is in Minnesota because earlier the game obviously was in Green Bay. When you look at the South, it's going to be the Saints riding off Forget about the rest of the division. And then in the NFC West, remember, even with the 10-1 Niners holding the top slot in the NFC for the one seed, the Seattle Seahawks earlier this season beat them, remember on that Thursday night game, or excuse me, on the Monday night game, it was a night game, it was on a Monday. So they have the advantage if somehow, some way, San Francisco subs their toe in Baltimore this week and Seattle, they host Minnesota. Very good matchup there on a Monday night. So remember, Seattle's not that far behind from getting a top seed in the NFC if they happen to win and San Francisco loses in Baltimore this weekend. And you have a good slew of games which will go over for your uh, Thanksgiving pleasure. Now the games on Thanksgiving aren't great, but we'll get to it a little bit later on. So that's what you got there in the NFC. And then of course, the Rams, like I mentioned, they need a win tonight. They play the Ravens and we all know the Ravens are... Firing on all cylinders, all the Lamar Jackson talk. Let's see if they could slow him down for a night and get themselves back in that NFC wildcard picture. Because if they lose tonight, you could pretty much forget it. They'll be two games behind the Vikings in the wildcard mix. They're the only team that's pretty much going to be left if there was going to be a wildcard mix. Obviously with, as I said earlier, with Philadelphia being at five and six, you could probably put them in a wildcard mix, but there's no way they're going to, they're three games back. So here we are, NFC is pretty much, I don't want to say it's pretty much set, but if somehow, some way the Rams do lose tonight, you could pretty much look at those six, seven teams, we've got to throw in Philadelphia, as those are the teams we're going to circle the wagons with and look at here over the, four, over the uh, final four weeks of this NFL season. Whereas in the AFC, it is just a jumbled mess. Other than the top two spots, as we've talked about before, with the Pats and the Ravens. Pats won the game yesterday, and they weren't really impressive. I guess with the weather, listen, we can't just blame the weather. Because we all know Brady's been a very good bad weather quarterback over these years. And we understand he doesn't have a ton of weapons. He's throwing to rookies pretty much on this team. Jacoby Myers, Nikhil Harry got his first career touchdown there in the game yesterday. The only touchdown of the game. But we all know it's all defensive special teams with this Patriot team. And I know for weeks I've been killing this Patriot defense. And I'm not trying to say that they are a bad defense. Of course, they're a good defense. And we can see so far they've only given up 117 points. I get that. But I still need to see this against a good quality team. And yeah, the Cowboys are. They definitely are. No offense, Buzz Babies, about it. But now they're going to go up against the Texans on the road. And not that I trust the Texans by any stretch. And then they play the Chiefs after that at home. And after those two games, I'll even get more of a barometer. Do I need to be sold that this team is a, that they have a great defense? A little bit, only because I got to see the competition. And yes, they did very well against the Dallas team yesterday. Amari Cooper, no catches, like I said. Ezekiel Elliott had his moments, but didn't really put his fingerprints on this game. Dak Prescott obviously didn't have a good game. Okay, so give it up to the Pat defense. But we all know if the AFC is going to go through Foxborough, with those conditions, that crowd, that stadium, obviously they're going to be tough to beat. And I still need to see a little bit more from this defense. And people could say, Reels, you're off your rocker or whatever. I, I just, to me, I feel like you could throw on them. You could certainly run on them. But 
again, we, we just got to see if the proof's in the pudding. And of course, these next two weeks are pretty much going to seal the deal as far as how great this defense is from a historic standpoint. Because after that, they're playing the Bengals, the Bills, and the Dolphins to wrap up their season. So you would think that those three games are going to be cakewalks. So these next two for the Patriots are going to be interesting from a defensive standpoint. And offensively, yeah, they've struggled. You know, Brady said it last week, as we talked about in the podcast uh, last week when they uh, won in Philadelphia. And it was pretty much the same tune. Listen, they scored 17 points that week. They scored just 13 yesterday. And now they got to go to Houston. And let's see what their offense can put up against a Texan team who won on Thursday night, beating the Colts. And give it up to the Texans. I can't trust them in a big spot. I've said it time and time again. You know, Deshaun Jackson and DeAndre Hopkins are as electrifying as dynamic duo as a quarterback-wide receiver combo that there is in the league. But to me, let me see them beat New England. And I'm not saying they got to beat them up bad. I'm not trying to sit here and say that, oh, they need to destroy them. No, just win the game. Because if they lose a 24-20 game, it's just going to be typical. And I've seen plenty of those games where the better team may not be their best on that day, but they'll do just enough to beat the team that needs to be close to perfect to beat them. And that's a movie I've seen time and time again, again, especially in this era of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. So you got that game upcoming, but kudos to Houston as Jacoby Brissett was back at under center for the Colts, but it wasn't enough. So now they fall them right out of the AFC playoff picture and is certainly in a division which is right now jam-packed too. Even the Tennessee Titans, which I'll get to in a minute, they're also part of this. And who would have ever thought that the Titans would have gotten themselves back? Especially at Ryan, you know, Ryan Tannehill, a quarterback. But as we go through the AFC, Kansas City had a bye this week and they beat the Chargers on a Monday night, which pretty much puts them in very good position now to win the AFC West because they have the Raiders going into their building this week and with the Raiders losing to the Jets yesterday and just an inexplicable performance. And that was the quintessential trap game because anytime that you have a game after, meaning that they had their sights set on Kansas City knowing that that was going to be a huge game for them, but in between they had a lesser opponent, it was on the road, and even though the Jets do have talent and they've come around here after that debacle in Miami... But they didn't even show up. You know, if I talked about yesterday, the Packers not getting off the bus to play that game in San Francisco or in Santa Clara, then I don't even think the Raiders got off of the plane or even out of the hotel room because that was just a deplorable performance by them yesterday. And again, I know the weather was bad and it was slick and David Carr did not, or Derek Carr did not have a good game and Josh Jacobs couldn't get going on the ground. We'll give kudos to the Jets. And I know a few weeks ago I was saying fire Adam Gase. He's got to get out of here, especially after that performance against the Dolphins. But since then, he's won three in a row in three straight games where their team, their offense have scored 34 points in each of the last three games. So the Jets right now looking at a little bit of respectability considering their start of the year at 1-7. and seven. Now they've won three in a row. And they actually have a chance to win the next two because they go to Cincinnati this coming week and Cincinnati's 0-11. And then they go play the Dolphins again at home so they could actually have a five-game winning streak and possibly be 6-7 and seven before going to Baltimore, and then their season will end at that point, and that's a Thursday night game. So that's what you have there with the Jets, but Oakland stubbed their toe big time in preparation for that big game against the Chiefs. The Titans, let's get to them right now. The Titans have come out of nowhere here. Although their schedule is going to start to really toughen up here, but they beat the Jaguars yesterday. As I said before, Ryan Tannehill has just been phenomenal. He's had a resurrection of sorts with Mike Vrabel, and that's the Titans for you. The Titans are that team that fly so far under the radar to the point where you're like, wait a minute, they're 6-5? and five? They're actually a game behind the Texans in the division? And they control their own destiny, considering that they have not played the Texans yet this year. Now, their schedule does get tricky because not only do they play the Texans uh, in Week 15 and 17, they have to sandwich that with the Saints in Week 16 at home. But then they play the Raiders next week, which is going to be a, just a, an enormous game. And then they go to Indianapolis this weekend, which is going to be huge for either one of those two teams because that could be, I don't want to say a loser leaves town match, but any one of those two teams could really hurt themselves as far as making any type of playoff push in the AFC. So here we are. Vrabel's done a great job. They're 6-5. and five. The Colts, we talked about them. They lost even with Jacoby Brissett back. 6-5. and five. 
Now, the Steelers just came 6-5 and five yesterday, beating the Bengals. And we all know the Bengals uh, have had a long year. They're now 0-11. That was just a rough game to watch on many fronts. Mason Rudolph was pulled there in the third quarter. He was just awful. He threw a pick there in the red zone there in the second quarter. They were actually down 7-3 at the halftime. A lot of people were looking at, oh, geez, could this be the week that they upset him? But the Steelers, in a nutshell, Rudolph gets pulled. Devlin Hodges comes in. What does he do? Two passes he completed for 90 yards, including a 79-yard touchdown to James Washington, which turned it around. But then the defense gave it right back where Cincinnati kicked a field goal to make it 10-10. Then in the fourth quarter, as the Steelers took a 13-10 lead, then they had a huge turnover there where it looked like Ryan Finley and the Bengal offense was going in for the equalizer, at least from getting themselves in field goal position. But Tyler Boyd fumbles the ball. Picked up by Minka. He takes it back. They kick a field goal there at 16-10. And then they get a sack strip, Bud Dupree, and pretty much the game is over. So the, you don't throw wins back, as Coach Mike Tomlin says best. Style points aren't at a premium in the NFL. As long as you win these games, it's all that matters. And as of right now, believe it or not, the Steelers have now catapulted themselves back into the playoff mix as they're the sixth seed in the AFC with just a rough game yesterday. But again, you don't throw wins back. And 6-5 and five and have their rematch against Cleveland this coming weekend, which I'll get to in a bit. Now, just to uh, recap some of the other games. Uh, Lions and Redskins, big whoop. I know the big story out of that was Dwayne Hask- uh, Gaskins, uh, who was taking that picture. Dwayne Haskins, I get my names all mixed up here. The quarterback, rookie quarterback, was taking a selfie before they took the kneel down to end the game. And... He should have known better. I mean, for Haskins to do that, that was a bad job on his part. Now, he's a rookie. I guess he got caught up in the moment. He's finally going to win a game after the beating that he's taken pretty much this year, not only just physically, but also from the fans and media. So you give him a pass. Hopefully it doesn't happen again. And that's all there is for the Redskins. We talked about the Bears and the Giants. Giants are in a free fall. Who knows what's going to happen with Pat Shermer. You would think he's going to be gone, but will John Mara pull the cord and... Release him and try to bring in somebody else. That uh, remains to be seen. We talked about the Bills beating the Broncos. How about the Falcons? Here it is. They go on the road, win in New Orleans, and then win in Carolina. And then they come home and they give it up to a Buck team where they, you know, they're feast or famine. They're hot and cold. And Jameis Winston is a guy who is the biggest enigma in the league. He could throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns, but he could also throw for three interceptions. But the Buccaneers holding themselves accountable. Uh, weird as they, as they performed this year, but the Falcons, who are going to play there on Thursday night against the Saints for the second year in a row, which I don't know what NBC was thinking, but be that as it may. And uh, that pretty much wraps up your Week 11 or Week 12 in the NFL. Oh, the Panthers and Saints, I mentioned earlier with the Saints having to sweat out that game. They had a double-digit lead there in the fourth quarter, and they came back to tie the Panthers. And then you get the field goal late, so the Saints survived that scare. But the other game that I missed out was the Browns were jumped all over the Dolphins early to the tune of 28-0. They went 41-24. So now they have some wind in their sails as they won three in a row. All three of those games were at home, by the way. They beat the Bills, Steelers, and now the Dolphins. So then they go on the road to play Pittsburgh. And to get into the Week 12 games, right now when you're looking at Week 12, or I should say Week 13, the Thanksgiving games... Buffalo-Dallas is a good game. The first game in Chicago-Detroit, you might as well just start eating then because there is just no way. I understand you're going to be hungry for some football, but that's going to be, I could see that being a 16-13 type game. Then the night game is Saints at Falcons. Last year was Falcons at Saints and the Saints routed them. And I'm sure the Saints are going to look for some payback considering they lost them a few weeks ago. This game is down at the the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, because remember, the Superdome is also Mercedes-Benz. So your Thanksgiving games aren't great, but your Sunday slate, I tell you, it's about time you have four or five games you can sink your teeth into. And the first one you can start off with, especially from the one o'clock hour, is that Raven-Niner game, where we're going to see how that defense is going to hold up to a Lamar Jackson and company. That's going to be a fascinating game. Your other good one o'clock games... Browns and Steelers. The only reason why I bring them up is because one of those two teams is certainly just like the Titan Colt game. One of those two teams could take a severe blow to their playoff chances if they lose. 
And not only that, but the magnitude is even that much more higher as to what happened there 12 days ago. I'm sure the NFL is going to warn both of these clubs for any shenanigans, any late hits, things of that nature as far as fines, maybe even suspensions. Now again, of course, we all know Miles Garrett is not going to be in the game as well as Marquise Pouncey, but you have Larry Ogunjabi. Remember the, the, the Marius Randall was the guy who hit Deontay Johnson who actually played in the game yesterday, the wide receiver. Uh, so you have a lot of culprits that were not part of the fight at the end of the game, but were of course part of the game as players were being carted off on the Steelers side. So I could see that just being a nasty game. And then, of course, their fans were acting like idiots this weekend with the stupid pinata with Mason Rudolph. I don't know if you saw that, but I put that on my Twitter feed. So if you want to check that out at Reels one you can see that for yourself. But uh, I think that that could be, that's going to be a very fascinating game from a standpoint of can the Browns finally be brought back to earth? And not only that, this week is going to be interesting too because Freddie Kitchens right now, if he's going to earn his paycheck as being the Browns coach this year, it has to be this week. So if the Browns are going to start chirping, if you're going to hear Odell start talking about the yawn towards Mike Tomlin or some of the defensive players are going to start saying, oh, we're better than the Steelers or, oh, we're going to sweep them or, oh, yeah, and it was time to finish the job or whatever it is, I'm sure he has to tell his team right now, I don't want to hear anything in the press this week. And that would be the sign, I'm not even going to say of a good coach, but just of a competent coach. Because if he lets his players bark to the media all week, and with stupid proclamations and whatever it may be, that's going to be a bad sign for them. Because I'm sure Mike Tomlin is probably, and he knows, he's learned, and you would think he's learned, that he's going to go to his guys and say, I don't want to hear a peep from anybody this week. Just shut up and perform on the field. As long as we beat them, we can forget about them, and we can move forward and hopefully keep that sixth seed in the AFC. So keep in mind as to what may be said, especially more from the Brown side, but hopefully it doesn't become a war of words because as we all know, that means nothing. And nobody needs to any bulletin board material. But who knows? The Browns, with all the talk and all the hype at the start of the year, let's see if they're going to start chirping at the bit here to uh, go ahead and kind of lay the groundwork for what uh, could take place here on Sunday. And if that's going to be the case, who knows? It could be a long afternoon for them, which I hope that is the case. So uh, that's what we have there with that matchup. As far as the other matchups for Sunday, I mentioned Titans-Colts. I know not a sexy matchup, but again... One of those two teams will certainly be flying high and doing well as far as trying to jockey for playoff position in the AFC as the other team may be long for an early vacation. You also have, in the 4 o'clock hour, you have Raiders and Chiefs, which again, tough loss for the Raiders. And if they're going to think about getting themselves, not only just in a wild card mix, but maybe even an outside shot for the division, they need to have this game in the worst way. Remember, the Chiefs beat them in Week 2. So any possibility of them getting an AFC West crown, they would need to win this game pronto. And then with the Sunday night game is Patriots-Texans, as I said before. And then the Monday night game is Vikings-Seahawks. So I mean, you definitely have a ton of great games on the docket. Of course, you have some bores as well. But right now, if you're an NFL fan, this is the one weekend you look forward to because this is where either the separation begins, the pretenders, contenders, all that factors in. And it all starts Thursday, 12.30. I understand with two teams that are not in contention for a postseason bid with the Bears and Lions, but I guess that could kind of be the appetizer for Bills, Cowboys, and then you could have your dessert there at 8.30 between the Saints and Falcons, although it's not going to be the matchup that I'm sure NBC and the NFL hope for at the start of the season. So that's pretty much it with your NFL. Any other news and notes that I could uh, come away with before we move on? Nah, not as of right now. So that's what you have pretty much here in the National Football League. As far as the college football season is concerned, as I mentioned at the top, the season concludes this weekend with all the big matchups, all the rivalry matchups highlighted by Ohio State and Michigan. As we all know, if Jim Harbaugh is finally going to get that monkey off the back, it has to be this time around. The game's in his building. His team has a little bit of a momentum. You would think that with all the talk over the last few years and even going into this year, is this going to be it for Jim Harbaugh? Is it a possibility that he may jump ship to go to the NFL? Well, if he wins this game, I'm sure it's going to help his cause to stay for another year or to stay for however many years. But if this comes down to a field goal, if this comes down to just some bad play or turnover or sloppiness, whatever it is, uh, he's going to have some explaining to do. But uh, that's going to be the one game that highlights this weekend as well as Alabama and Auburn, Wisconsin, Minnesota, 
Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Uh, you have all the matchups this weekend. Florida, Florida State for those from a nostalgic standpoint. We all know Florida State is awful. But when you look at this past weekend, Oregon and their hopes for the top four in the college football playoff took a severe hit by losing to Arizona State. So they go from sixth in the nation. They drop all the way to 14th. And also Penn State, who were, had a huge game against Ohio State. And granted, it was at Ohio, so it was going to be some tough sledding for them. They lose, so they drop to 12 and hurt any chances of them making it to the college football playoff. So when you're looking at your top 10 as of right this second, LSU still holds it there, followed by Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, then Alabama. So your top four again is LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, and then your five through 10 are Bama, Utah moves up, Oklahoma, Florida, Minnesota, and then Michigan. So Michigan now is in the top 10. And will they get a shot at making it to the playoff? I don't think so. I mean, this would be a just a as enormous as a win that Michigan will have in a long time. And I'm sure they're going to argue the fact that even though with them having two losses, can they make it to the playoff? I think they probably fall short. It all remains to be seen has it, you know, how it all shakes down here in the next couple of weeks. But if Michigan somehow, some way will upset the apple cart this week, especially with amongst the top four, that'll be a good start. And then that will actually probably give a shot for Alabama to get back in the top four. So we'll see. Again, college football concludes this weekend. Then you have the championship conferences of uh, the following week where you have LSU and Georgia going to highlight that. 3.30 Saturday afternoon. I believe that game will be in Atlanta. And then, of course, you have all the other conference championships. And then after that, we'll see how the top four play out. And then, of course, a couple weeks after that, we have the Bulls, which personally I couldn't care about. Just get me to the playoff and then we'll uh, take it from there. So that's what you have there in college football. I know a lot of the talk there with Chase Young is funny here locally with the Jets and Giants. I know the Giants looking to draft a pass rusher and a lot of people are thinking that, hey, Chase Young... He's going to be the guy, and we all know he's going to be out, I believe, up until the ball game. And no, and he probably won't even play in the ball game, which a lot of these players do or have done over the last few years. Uh, Christine McCaffrey comes to mind. But the Giants, and looking forward to a NFL draft, you wonder if you're a Giant fan out there, is Chase Young the guy you're looking to target, or is it somebody else? I would think it has to be the defensive, the pass rusher. I mean, that's the guy who could wreck the game. And as we all know, that's one of the premium positions in football, so... I'm sure Giant fans are probably salivating, but won't get the opportunity to see Chase Young on a high level, especially with the suspension. And then on top of that, he'll probably forego the ball. Oh, who knows? Maybe not. Knowing that if a championship's at stake, he may come back, and I believe he'll be eligible by then. So we'll certainly see how that uh, unfolds. All right, so now to uh, turn my attention, I'll save the baseball for last. I want to get more into the winter sports right now. Uh, as far as the NHL is concerned, my bad last week, I didn't even mention about Sidney Crosby being on the shelf for six weeks with a core injury. Now, the Penguins haven't played bad uh, without him. We all know it's an older team. So the NHL takes a hit where they're, one of their biggest stars in the game is uh, not playing. And you got to wonder, early in his career with all the concussions and then now with the core, I'm not trying to say he's done by any stretch, but at the same time, this is now becoming... The back nine, or for sure, you could say probably he's at the 16th hole of his NHL career. And we all know the type of career he's had. Three Stanley Cups, including back-to-back just a few years ago. They had a tough sweep at the hand of the Islanders last year. And you kind of wonder, is the window now starting to close? Not necessarily just as far as their championship pedigree and playoff runs, but also on his career. And with the core surgery, rehab, and all that, I'm sure he's going to come back stronger than ever. But at the same time, just something to think about. When it comes to one of the great careers here of recent memory. And a guy who, as we all know, Sid the Kid, as everybody called him, coming out of junior. Was going to be the next best thing since Gretzky. And obviously, there's only one win, Gretzky. So, uh, not to try to make any comparisons to him and the great one. But, just something to keep in mind there. As his uh, days in the NHL are starting to become a precious few. But as far as the rest of the uh, league on the ice is concerned. uh, Pretty much everything has been status quo. I know the Maple Leafs fired their head coach, Mike Babcock, for the people north of the border. And what you're looking at right now is a Toronto team that everybody's dying up there for them to finally break that hex of, what is it, 53, 54 years of not getting, winning a Stanley Cup. And here they are. They fire their coach. They bring up their AHL coach 
Sheldon Keefe, so we'll see if he fares any better. So that was the big notes, news and notes over the weekend, especially from one of your original six teams. But the NHL on a whole right now, just uh, perusing standings, pretty much everything's the same. I know the Florida Panthers have played very well. Remember, I said when Joel Quenville was hired, I thought that was a very big hire for that organization, considering his pedigree with all those cups that he won there as a member of the Chicago Blackhawks. Well, now they're starting to turn their season around. They got to a very slow start, but certainly played a lot better to the tune of now second place in the Atlantic. The Islanders are still playing pretty well, although the Capitals have that lead in the Metropolitan, but they have four games in hand. So despite the fact that they are four points behind, or excuse me, three points behind, but they still have plenty of games in hand against them. So Islanders, as they finally got a loss the other night, they lose in San Jose. First time they lost, well, they lost in overtime, but they haven't had a regulation loss in forever. As the Islanders continue on their West Coast uh, swing. As we go through, uh, let's see, pretty much everything is pretty much the same in the NHL. You know, Edmonton has the top spot there in the Pacific, as well as St. Louis still playing well there in the Central. I know Dallas has come on a little bit here now with a six-game winning streak. So the NHL will continue to heat up. I know your Thanksgiving tradition game, which is always the 1 o'clock game, the Friday of Black Friday. You have Rangers in Boston. It seems like they play every year on that day. It's either Rangers Flyers or Rangers Boston. It never seems to be anyone else. And I understand they want to try to keep it original six or keep it to one original six team. So that's what you got there for your day after Thanksgiving. So if you're having some leftovers or you're coming back from some Black Friday shopping, at least you have something other than college football to watch in the early afternoon. So if you're interested in the pucks and the ice, you got that to... uh, Sink your teeth into. So that's it for the NHL. As far as the NBA is concerned, I know the talk is the Lakers, and rightfully so. 14-2, tremendous start by them. Their only two losses was the opening night losses we know to the Clippers and then to Toronto when they visited the Staples Center a couple weeks ago. Since then, they've just been on fire. Anthony Davis will go back to New Orleans on Wednesday for the first time. I'm sure he's probably going to get a bad reception. We get that he was the face of the franchise for seven years, but with the way that unceremoniously ended, you would think that uh, whatever, you know, 5,000 Pelican fans going to come out and just uh, boo the tar out of him. So you got that to look forward to on Thanksgiving Eve, but the, they've been the big story. But to me, I know it's not a surprise and certainly not going on a limb, but when you look at the NBA right now and you just look at the performance of a one Luka Doncic, this is unlike anything we've ever seen. And people could say, oh, well, what about LeBron when he came into the league for him to Take the lead by storm. Well, he didn't take it like this. Now, granted that LeBron came in at 18, didn't win rookie of the year, and by the time he was 20, he was doing the things that Luke is doing. But you also got to understand something. We have not seen this among the likes of a European player ever. To be in your second year, to average 30, 10, and 9. And I understand it's only, what, 16 games in. It's a long season. I'm sure you would think that the numbers would drop. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, he's going to produce a triple-double here this year. But the feats that he's accomplishing on this court at such a tender age, and it'll be 21 on February 28th. It's just amazing to think that the talent that this kid has and pretty much him being the leader of this team, where they bring in Chris Porzingis, who has not gotten off to the good start that I'm sure a lot of people in Dallas have thought. I mean, he's averaging 18 points a game, which isn't terrible, but considering Porzingis is one of those uh, type of players that could certainly be, as Kevin Durant put it, a unicorn, well, I don't know if he's you should fully be healed from that knee injury that he suffered a few years back. But anyway, going back to Luca, just to every time that they play, I always got to see what he's doing and what his box score looks like because for him to do that at his tender age is just astronomical. It really is. And for those who don't pay attention, I guess the Dallas Mavericks, nobody in this region here in the Northeast is going to even think about it. But every time I see them play, I want to see what he does. And that's what's great about this league because you have so many players littered throughout the league that you can look at it either on League Pass or you want to see the first highlights there on SportsCenter. And he's right at the top. So as much as you want to see LeBron, as much as you want to see Kawhi Leonard, what the Clippers are doing, as much as you want to see Embiid and the Sixers, uh, what any of these teams. Kyrie, when he's healthy, obviously he's been on the shelf there with that shoulder injury. As much as you want to see those guys, I'm sorry, Luka Doncic be- belongs right there at the top. And let's see what kind of season he has. He's already off to an MVP season. I didn't even mention Giannis as far as being another guy you want to see as, as far as highlight reels are concerned. But uh, I just, you know, we, I haven't mentioned anything about Luka Doncic. If I did, it was probably for two seconds. So I just want to give him his props and what he's done so far this year. 
And obviously, a lot of the NBA fans will certainly be glued to what he does from here on out because he is just having one of those seasons from another planet. And even yesterday, to the tune of, what was it, 41-6-10, and 10, as they beat the Rockets and James Harden, who also put up uh, some prodigious numbers on offense, almost a triple-double himself. But Doncic, to me, has been the story as far as players are concerned, as far as what he's done from year one to year two. And granted, I understand people in Toronto are going to say, hey, what about Pascal Siakam, knowing that he signed this big deal with Kawhi Leonard out the door, and who's going to be that guy who's going to step up? And he certainly has, without question, but uh, Doncic is just on in another stratosphere right now. So you have that. NBA, I know the Celtics the other day with the Kemba Walker, he's not going to perform tonight. He suffered that injury where he went head first. He must have got a stinger. And you wonder how long he's going to be out. So that's one uh, player that the Celtics are certainly going to miss here as they've cooled off after that hot start. And uh, now let's see if they could uh, right the ship. No Kyrie this week, as I mentioned about his shoulder. It would have been his first appearance in Boston as a member of of an opposing team since the uh, free agent signing period when he signed with the Nets. Actually, they have a home-and-home this week as they'll play in Boston on Wednesday and then Friday afternoon there in Brooklyn. And actually, the Celtics will be here all weekend because then they play the Knicks on Sunday. So that's what the Celtic week is looking like. And uh, then you also, speaking of the Clippers earlier, you had Kawhi and Paul George play for the first time together against the Celtics. And that was just a fascinating game, a thrilling game to say the least. And one thing I wondered here, and there's plenty of basketball to be played, and I'm not even going to, I can't even, it's way ahead of myself to even bring this up, but not that anybody cares here in the New York area, but it would be fascinating knowing that the start that the Lakers have had and all the expectations of the Clippers, imagine those two teams. Now, could it possibly be a Western Conference final between those two teams? Now, of course, one's going to win a division because they both can't win it. So, and again, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but it would be fascinating if both of those teams played in the postseason because I don't even think they've ever played in the postseason together. Lakers and Clippers. So, obviously, it would really mean something if that would have happened, but again, we're talking months away, but it's just something to plant the seed, just kind of like I did last week, planting the seed as far as the Warriors tanking to get a top lottery pick in next year's draft. So, just something to keep in mind as well, people. So, that's what we have there. Yes, we talked about Kemba the Spring Neck. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it with the NBA before I get to the baseball because every much pr- pretty much everything has been status quo. I know the Celtics have, like I said, they've uh, hit the skids here a little bit. Other than Milwaukee, and they've been off and running. They got up to, for them. They got up to a little bit of a slow start. Now they're tops in the conference, followed by Boston and Miami. I mentioned last week they've certainly performed well. Toronto, Philly, Indy, Brooklyn, Orlando. But here's the one thing: when you look at both of these conferences, and I kind of look back at the. NFL comparison. The thing is that we all know the East is weak. Now, you look at the seven and eight seeds with Brooklyn and Orlando. Brooklyn's at 500 and Orlando's three games under. But then out West, Minnesota's at eight and eight. Let me even make sure I got that straight. Yeah, Minnesota's eight and eight, tied with Phoenix. And then after that, you have Sacramento, New Orleans, San Antonio. Now, there's a big drop off. And of course, San Antonio, of course, that's the one team that our people aren't looking at when it comes to. When you look at their record, you almost have to do a double take and say, wait a minute, you sure that's not in reverse? Yes, their record is 6-11. and 11. And I don't think there's going to be any rumors, whatever, but you got to wonder what's going on in the back of Craig Popovich's, uh, Coach Pop's mind. Knowing that, hey, this could be the end. And would you be surprised? I wouldn't. Now, we know he's going to coach Team USA next year in the Olympics. And you wonder if this is going to be it for him or maybe next year. I don't know what his contract status is. And you would think that whatever he does with the front office, R.C. Buford and company, that whenever he wants to go, he can go. So I don't know if he has two, three more years or if this is it for him. But that's just something to behold. And uh, quite frankly, I mean, it is shocking to think when you look at them in the standings and that they only have a record of 6-11. and 11. But uh, obviously the West is so much better than the East. Goes without saying. But uh, again, plenty of basketball to be played. We'll certainly continue to keep our finger on the pulse moving forward. Now, let me get to the baseball here. Uh, Before I get to the Hall of Fame stuff, I know you had a couple of signings. Yasmani Grandal with the White Sox. In fact, two signings. One new player and one of their older players. 
So Grandal gets signed, four years, $73 million to become part of the White Sox. And let's see what he could do as far as his performance this year. As you know, he was with the Dodgers and then last year with the Brewers. Puts up good numbers, is a good play caller, good defensive catcher. And then they also re-signed Jose Abreu, their first baseman, who, good for him. Three years, $50 million. Obviously, he wanted to stay in Chicago. Probably wanted to see this team turn around while he was there, considering he have a lot of good young players, the Johan Moncadas of the world, the Eloy Jimenezes. Who knows if Michael Kopech, the flamethrowing pitcher that they got in the trade for Chris Sale, if he's going to be on track to come back this year. So you would think the White Sox would try to take the next step. So maybe you want to be a part of that. So you got those two guys in the mix. We'll see what happens as far as any other hot stove cooking here in the days and weeks to come. We all know the big guys have certainly are nowhere near close to signing as Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon, Madison Bumgarner, etc. And trickle on down. Nothing has been reported or rumored over the course of the last few days. You also had a former Met sign down in Atlanta and a one Travis Darno for two years. Now watch him be healthy and he'll just kill the Mets here over the next two years. Wouldn't that be typical? Darno, as we all know, he's made out of glass. He's always on the DL for something. Actually had a productive year last year and was relatively healthy for the Rays. But let's see if uh, two years and uh, some productivity will uh, certainly be a part of his game. Because we all know he has a decent stick. Not a good catcher to say the least. But again, the biggest thing for Darno is in his health. And uh, the Yankees finally cut bait with Jacoby Ellsbury. They had to form their 40-man roster. So that meant bye-bye to Ellsbury. Let's see if he signs somewhere for the league minimum. In fact, the Yankees looking to not even pay him the $26 million, which would have been $21 million on the books as far as the salary is concerned and the $5 million buyout that was part of his contract because Ellsbury, for whatever the reason, the report was is that he went unsolicited to one of his own doctors for some medical attention. And because of that happened, well, because of that happening, there is a possibility that the Yankees could recoup that money considering they didn't go to, or Jacoby Ellsbury did not go to the Yankee physicians. So who knows if there's going to be an emotional and physical and even monetary, uh, a monetary tug of war when it comes to that. But don't have to worry about that. That's the Yankees problem. He's no longer a part of the roster as well as Greg Bird. Bird is a guy that a lot of people thought he was going to be a long-time Yankee, left-handed, first baseman, power, but he's another guy. Can't stay healthy. And I think the Yankees did a smart thing. The Ellsbury was no-brainer, but for him to say goodbye to Bird, they have a surplus of talent to put at first base. And although he's a lefty stick and the Yankees can use lefty bats, but they just felt as if, nah, we've been down this road before. We certainly don't want to go through another laborious offseason. And let's say he comes back 100%. But then he'll pull something or stub his toe or whatever it is or have hangnail and then he's going to be on the shelf for three months. So they did the right thing by pushing ahead and keeping him off the roster and DFAing him. So let's see if he resurfaces somewhere. And as far as the 2020 Hall of Fame potentials, or I don't want to say class because obviously they have not been voted as of yet. And that will happen, I believe, sometime in early January. I know the NFL... The week of the Super Bowl, that Saturday of the Super Bowl, they, that's when they announced the 2020 class. And I believe a couple weeks before that, Major League Baseball, they'll announce it to obviously have their ceremony in Cooperstown in July. But as far as the class goes, which is highlighted by Derek Jeter, which is going to be a lock, and I know the prevailing thought is that, or the big question is, is will he get the 100% vote from the writers a la Mariano Rivera did last year? My answer is going to be no. Because I'm sure some of the writers... And he's going to be a lock. I mean, there's no doubt. He's probably going to get in maybe somewhere in the 90s. I wouldn't be surprised 95% of the vote. But there's going to be a few guys that think that he wasn't the best shortstop of his generation. People are going to look at Alex Rodriguez, especially pre-Yankees, and think that, well, A-Rod was better than Jeter. So there's no way that I could automatically assume that he's going to be 100% a lock to get all the bo- all the votes from the baseball writers. So... Jeter will be there, but here's some of the other lists. Now, I'm not going to go through Bonds and Clemens. and uh, No, I'm just going to go for the guys that are here for the very first time. And I'm going to just give you a quick yes and no. Bobby Abreu, no. Josh Beckett, no. Heath Bell, I, I couldn't even believe I saw his name on the list. Eric Chavez, no. Adam Dunn, no. Joan Figgins, no. Rafael Fercal, no. Jason Giambi, Hall of Fame worthy at the start, but then if steroids have killed him, and then, so that's a no. 
Todd Helton played in Colorado, had some very good years, but no. Raul Ibanez, no. Paul Konerko, no. Cliff Lee, no. Carlos Pena, no. Brad Penny. Andy Pettit. Now, Pettit is a borderline Hall of Famer. I understand people are going to say he has the most postseason wins in history. Pitched in a million World Series. A million playoff games. I believe his record is not 100 games over 500, which, not to say it's an automatic, but it certainly helps. He's borderline. And I understand he had his steroid situation where he he owned up to it and you got to give it up to him but he's close I got to go back and look at his numbers again so uh, but right now I would say he's borderline I won't even say yes or no JJ Putz please Brian Roberts Scott Rowland Schilling who is a Hall of Famer I think this is his first time on the ballot I guess it is because he did retire after what 20 no hasn't he been on his ballot for a while Uh, Alfonso Soriano no Jose Valverde give me a break Billy Wagner, no. Larry Walker is close. I looked at his numbers the other day. He had all those numbers in Colorado, and he put he's a three-time batting title winner, 97 NL MVP. Uh, I tell you. And I'm not even going to go, oh, he has to have 500 home runs and 3,000 hits and things of that nature. I think he batted 297 for his career. He Again, he's borderline. He's close, but I, I would say no. Omar Vizquel, that's a close one too because we all know he's one of the great defensive shortstops of all time. He, like Ozzie Smith, his back got a little bit better as his career went on. Played a million years. Is he a Hall of Famer? Never won a World Series. At least Ozzie Smith won a World Series. Yeah, I mean, that's tough. I got to look at these numbers. Maybe next week I'll come back with uh, the case for Andy Pettit. I'll even put up Larry Walker's numbers. And even Omar Vizquel. But all those other guys. And I know you could say for, like for Bonds and Clemens. And even Gary Sheffield was on this list. Who Sheffield, 500 home runs. Is he a Hall of Famer? I think he's a Hall of Famer. He was just a fearsome, dominant, you know, right-handed hitter. Won a World Series. Was a batting crown winner in 92. Uh, it was just a, you know, just a dangerous hitter. But obviously he's going to fall short, I think. So that's what you have there with the baseball. And let's see if any free agents will start to uh, come up here. Over the course of the next few days, as uh, the hot stove, let's hope it's not just as a simmer that all burners, the back and the front, will be percolating with a lot of uh, free agent rumors here over the course of the next few days into next week. All right, so let me wrap this up here with a little hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week, I know it's going to be a little ice water on him, but you know what? Give it up to Frank Gore. The Buffalo Bills running back, longtime running back of the San Francisco 49ers as he eclipses Barry Sanders for third all-time NFL rushing list. I mean, who would have thought the career that Frank Gore would have had coming out of the University of Miami and all those years in San Francisco. He's bounced around a little bit since then. Miami uh, was with the Dolphins last year, and I believe he was with another team before that, but I can't remember off the top of my head, so forgive me with that. But right now we know he's on the Buffalo Bills. But here's the thing, people. And everybody knows I'm a hard marker when it comes to the Hall of Fame because everybody's talking about, oh, he's a Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer. When you look at his yards, yes, of course, he's third all time. Hall of Famer. But here's the one thing that people forget when it comes to the Hall of Fame. I'm not going to say he's the best. He has to be the best running back in the league or he has to be top five in MVP. No, none of that. Was he dominant? Was he consistent? Absolutely. You're not inconsistent if you don't get to 15,000 yards or 15, whatever, you eclipse 15, 342. Of course, you have to be consistent to get to that number. But was he dominant? Yes, was he Emmett Smith? Was he Barry Sanders? Was he Curtis Martin? Now, Curtis Martin was interesting too because Curtis Martin obviously had the consistency too, but he at least was able to, I think he's the only player in his 30s to win a rushing title. You know, in this day and age in the NFL, that says a lot as being in a passing league and as we all know, running backs over 30 have put out the pasture. So, I got to get back to the hero part of it. Kudos to him. We can make the Hall of Fame debate later on in February or whatever when we talk about the Hall of Fame. Not that he's going to be eligible for it because he has to be retired for five, six years. But case in point, but I just wanted to throw that in there because a lot of people looked at, oh, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's a lock. Well, he's certainly not a first ballot in my book. And he's a borderline because he was just was never dominant. So I'll just leave it at that. But kudos to him. That's just an amazing accomplishment. I mean, what could you say? He's third all time. Walter Payton and Emmitt Smith are the only two teams, or only two players in the history of this league that could say he has more rushing yards than Frank Gore. So give it up to him. And then my zero of the week 
is uh, Washington Capitals' Garnet Hathaway. And people probably saying, Garnet Hathaway? Who is this guy? I wouldn't even know him if he fell on me. Well, he was suspended for three games of spitting on Eric Goodbranson. I can't even pronounce his name. Goodbranson. Of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. There was a little bit of a scrum. Goodbranson gave him a little bit of the shove in his face, gave him a little face wash with the glove, a little jab snapback. So what did he do? He actually spat on him. I mean, come on. Really? I'm surprised he didn't get pounded, but then I'm sure Goodbranson, as big as Goodbranson is, I'm sure he's not a tough guy, fighter, whatever it may be, but uh, yeah, that is just a classless act. Why would anybody want to do that? And it was evident in the video, and he got suspended there for three games, I believe it was. So, bad job by him. So, Garnet Hathaway is my zero of the week. So, before I sign off, people, just one note I want to say. Uh, pretty much, I mentioned it a little bit at the top, but I also want to say here for the 100th episode, I just want to thank everybody for their participation whether you jumped in from the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or if this is your first time listening, I hope to make the next 100 even that much more better, stronger for you guys. Because that's why I'm here each and every week to do that. As I've said time and time again, I want to get it up to twice a week to have at least the recap in sports on Monday. And then Wednesday, Thursday, have that other episode where it's just a guest and I could present to everybody out there who listens to podcasts. And I understand when you're an independent entity like myself where I write, produce, host, edit and obviously have to do all the groundwork behind the scenes it's not easy And but I love it it's not going to stop me people but my point in saying all this is that just continue banging with me people I really appreciate all your love, support uh, everything that you do behind the scenes and listen to what it is I have to say about the world of sports uh, I'm not going anywhere as long as the good Lord puts me here on this earth of his and not only that in preparation for thanksgiving again just a big shout out to all you guys thank you for all that you've done to support me and help me as i'll continue to fast forward hopefully to the next 100 podcasts and let those next 100 be better than the first 100 so i just want to give a little parting gift to you guys here just days away from the thanksgiving holiday but of course as i say each and every week i do want to have you guys participate and how you could do that is just go on your app or your tablet or even on your PC, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And that would be on Apple, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, iHeartRadio, or or wherever you get your podcasts from. If I could just ask you just to subscribe, all you got to do is just click on that, whether it's on your mouse or just on your app on your phone, click on that and then go right to the review section where you just type in a few notes. Say, hey, J-Reels is silly, J-Reels is funny, he does deliver the sports on a crazy scale, whatever it is. I don't know. I can't even put it, articulate it right now. But my point is that just go ahead. Please give me a rating. Also, post a review. All that's going to do is just increase the visibility with all the other podcasts that are out there and hopefully generate interest for guests, whether it be former current athletes, writers, bloggers, broadcasters, you name it. Because all I want to do is take this podcast to higher levels and big heights. And I will continue to do so. But obviously, I will need your help in doing that. So if you could do that for me, please, I'll be forever grateful and thankful. As well as I have a Patreon page. And if you're wondering what Patreon is, it's to support independent uh, entities like myself, uh, producers, where I will need whatever funding when it comes to producing equipment, advertising, whatever it may be. Even remotes. I'm hoping to do a remote in 2020, meaning that I'll be at some location, if you're in the Northeast, where I can have a guest host a show, have people come out, support, and get to know who J Reels is and what the podcast is all about. So all that will go to, those funds will go to the production of this podcast and you could do so at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels podcast. And then lastly, if you need to drop a line, questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, please, people, let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what you're feeling. I'd love to get your feedback. I'd love to know what I could do to improve the program, what it is, do you want me to talk more, do you want me to say less, I understand the guest, I get that, you probably, hey, I want LeBron James on the podcast, or hey, can you get Tom Brady, obviously that's going to be a little bit rich for my blood, but you know what I'm saying, anything, reach out to me on any of my platforms, whether it's on Twitter, JReels1, just the number, Instagram, JReels, the JReels podcast on my Facebook fan page, as well as an email, the JReels podcast at gmail.com. For anything that's going on in the world of sports, whether it's on the diamond, on the ice, on the gridiron, on the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. 
from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J-Rose podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday. Please be safe. Don't overdo it. Eat healthy. Eat right. Indulge. Enjoy it with your family and friends, everybody. And until next time on the J-Rose podcast, on the flip, baby.